0: My sons, actually, they watched Dude Perfect, and Dude Perfect this week, because it's Thanksgiving, they did Thanksgiving stereotypes, and one of the things was the guy was eating his turkey, and all of a sudden he just like flopped over because of the church to fan in it. But good morning to everybody, we're glad you're here, thank you for spending this morning with us. I don't know if you were up early this morning, but if you weren't, you missed something that is absolutely amazing, and I'll show it to you at the end of service. Um, Obviously, Pastor Jeff and Debbie aren't here today. They had the opportunity to head down to Atlanta to spend Thanksgiving with both their sons. Um, One lives there and one came in from Baltimore to be with them. So they got to have their family together. You know, Pastor Jeff and Deb, they sacrificed so much for us. They sacrificed so many holidays and things to be away from their family. It's great to, to allow them to be down there. So they will be heading back this week. So please be praying for their safe travels and things like that. But before I get started today, I just want to talk about a few things that maybe you missed this week that were rather important. How many people received a very important message through the church app this week? If you're not raising your hand, then watch out. How many people baked their cannoli pie? All right, we sent out a message this week all right, about how to take care of your pies, because the pie box said thawing instructions and baking instructions, but it didn't say which ones you were supposed to do it to. So we were like, oh no, we were in a fritz. So we had to figure out how to get people to do the pies the right way, so I sent it out through the church app. A good reason to have your church app, all right, because hopefully nobody baked their chocolate peanut butter pie. All right. With that, though, what I'd like you to do, if you get an opportunity, you've had one of the pies that we had. This is a new company that we used this year. Um, they worked with us very, very well, but we want some feedback. I didn't try every single one, even though sometimes I feel like I did. Um, but if you had one, if you could just get a hold of Diane and let her know, hey, it was really good. Hey, it really, really stunk. Um, let us know because we're looking to do better. All right, um, but we want to get feedback on what you thought was good there was rumbleberry bumbleberry there's more pies than I know what to do with but we just want to thank you one for purchasing them and if we could get a little bit of feedback the other thing I just want to encourage you to do is have at least one way you're connected with a church I don't care what it is All right, if it be the church website the church website is a door to the church it doesn't get changed all that often it's hard to put daily stuff on it, all right? If you want daily stuff, Facebook and Instagram are the place to go, okay? And you're like, oh, that's not me. The church app is gonna give you pertinent information, stuff that's, like, timely. But if you need encouragement throughout the week, the place to get it is through our Instagram feed and through our Facebook because they're connected together. And there's been good content going out. If it be refreshers of the messages, if it be encouragement throughout the week and stuff, There's lots of opportunity there, because you know what? To go from, let's put this, who's going to eat today and not eat till next Sunday? Nobody. All right? Nobody. But each day, I hope you're getting the word. All right? But there's a special word that's coming from this church as well that pertains to what's going on here, and you're part of that family. So I'd encourage you to get plugged in somewhere. If you don't know how to do it, see myself, see somebody, because we want to make sure that you're getting what you can get. I think it's really, really funny. You know, Dennis started today that we come into church and we, we're always looking for something new. I'm not going to give you anything new today. I'm going to give you a new way to look at something you probably already know. All right? So come with that expectation. Dear God, show me a different perspective. Allow me to see something a way I've never seen it before. Because the Bible, it's, it's old, but it's new every day. It's the bread of life. It's what sustains us. So don't, we can't get burdened on, oh, this is old. This is new to me in this way today. But I hope you had a fun-filled, um, fun-fellowship, football-filled Thanksgiving. And I want you to continue to think about Thanksgiving because it's not a one-day thing. It's something that we should be thankful for every single day. And in our society today, thankfulness is not really a really a big thing you know we look at things and how many times do we hold the door for somebody and not not looking for a thank you but we get a thank you you know how many times do we rule out somebody even saying thank you to us right so today what i'm going to talk to you about is an attitude of gratitude how we get it how we keep it and how it sustains us so before i do that let us pray Dear Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity this morning to be your vessel, Lord. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's letting guide me in preparation, Lord. And I thank you for the words that are gonna come out of my mouth today that are yours. Lord, I I submit myself to you. Have your way with me, Lord, and allow this message to hit each and every person who's here, Lord, in the way that you want it to hit them. Lord, we thank you for what you're gonna do, how you're gonna do it, and how you're gonna use it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. amen. So gratitude is a word we like to use and should be expressing every day. Gratitude has a definition. It's being grateful or thankfulness, which I know that we're very, very familiar with. But there's so many other words that can get tied into it. When you look at synonyms of gratitude, there's appreciation, gratefulness, thanks, appreciativeness, thanksgiving, which we just celebrated, acknowledgement, How many people just want to be acknowledged sometimes? And when you get acknowledged, how does it make you feel? Satisfaction, indebtedness, acknowledgement, gratification, recognition, and tribute. All these words are things that we want to hear and we want others to feel. When we hear the word attitude, we can break it down as well. Now, we know that there's good attitudes, we know that there's bad attitudes, right? But our attitude, no matter if it's good or bad, is our mental position with regard to a fact or a statement. It's what we're perceiving, all right? So here's my example. I can say, I love snow. And there's a lot of people in here who don't have that same mental attitude, right? They have, I want the snow to go. Right? So it's a mental perception of what we like, right? what we believe. Many of us would think that I'm crazy because I, have, because I love snow. Two, oppos- two opposing attitudes towards snow. I love it. Judy hates it. It's the truth. Are either of us right or wrong? Absolutely not. All right, But it's what we perceive through our feelings, through our experiences, and things like that. But I believe it's fair to say that our attitudes are shaped by our experiences, perspectives, which reinforce our beliefs that we have. But when we put these two words together, attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude should look something like this. A mental position of thankfulness, appreciation, or gratefulness. Think about that. If our mind is always centered around Thankfulness, appreciation, and gratefulness. How much different would our life be? Rather, myself included, how many times is our mental position, this stinks, it's no good, I don't want to do it no more, and where are we? It's a total opposite thing. It's a complaining spirit. It's scary, but we all find ourselves there. But today, as I go through this, this is where we want to be. This is what we want to try to sustain. And in the end, there's nothing new. There's only one way to do it. Now that we've defined what an attitude of gratitude is, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Jesus Christ to live. Holy cow. I love instructions and I love directions because they spell it out. Well, here we have it. This is what we need for an attitude of gratitude. Simple, but yet so hard. We will put 1 Thessalonians 5 into practice. Paul made it plain and simple to the to the Thessalonian people be cheerful no matter what how many of our, of ourselves find ourselves complaining rather than looking at the good of the circumstances you know i look at it this way circumstances can be really really bad but i've never been around somebody who's gotten a phone call from their child that said i can remember Thanksgiving's many, many moons ago. I was at my aunt's house and all of a sudden the phone rang and it was my it was my cousin and she called and her dad got on the phone. And she said, Dad, I'm in the ditch. And he didn't say, Hey, is the car okay? He said, Are you okay? It's our perspective. It's being cheerful no matter what. Right? Thousands of dollars for a car, but my child's life. Can't not be replaced. It's our. It's being cheerful, no matter what. You know, I was just at a phys ed conference last week, and I got to hear a young man speak. His name was Kevin Atlas. He looks something like this. All right, here's a picture of him, and he's special. I'll tell you. What you don't know about Kevin is Kevin's six eleven. When he stood up, he was a tower. Right. The other thing that you wouldn't have known unless you met him or ever heard him speak before is he played Division I basketball. Exactly how he looks right there. He's the first person ever to get a Division I basketball scholarship with half an arm. He's cheerful no matter what. Even before entering the world, Kevin should have died at childbirth. His umbilical cord wrapped around his neck twice. But he survived because his left arm was in the middle of it, allowing the blood to flow to his brain. But since the circulation was cut off to his arm, he was born with his left arm ending just below the elbow. Many people may look at Kevin only having one arm and him being somewhat angry about it. But Kevin is cheerful amidst the circumstances. He is cheerful no matter what, because he understands the other potential outcomes. So often we get down about things or we complain about things when they can be blessings in disguise. Kevin wouldn't have been here if his arm wasn't in the way. The other thing he'll tell you, all right, is he wouldn't have played Division I basketball if he had two full arms, seriously. Because that arm that he's got there, he built it up so strong that when we were in this presentation, he had a grown man come up, and the guy could do pull-ups off his arm when it was stationed like this. That's how, long he got, how strong he got it. But you're like, how does that have to do anything with basketball? He's 6'11", so he was a post player. So when he stood in the post, what he would do is, when he calls it, I'm not making this up, his nub, he would throw his nub in the middle of the guy's chest and there was no way a guy could get around it, he'd get the ball with the other hand, and it would f- keep him free. If he did that with a full arm, the refs would have called a foul. But because he only had a half-foot arm, he'd just hit the guy right in the chest, he'd get the ball, and he'd go up. Amazing. But wait, hey, use what you've got, right? <laughs> use what you've got. Be positive about it. Now this guy is speaking to teenagers all over the world all over the world because God's opened a door for him. And he'll admit it was God because in this presentation of a thousand phys ed teachers sitting there, he told the story about the woman in adultery who was going to get stoned. God's doing amazing things through him, all right? But he doesn't look at his arm as being something that holds him back. He's cheerful that it happened to him and he wouldn't have it any other way. As we move on through our busy lives, Let's work on being cheerful no matter what. You know, we've got a great example of somebody who's cheerful no matter what, and some of you may remember, and some of you, it was before your time, but Pastor Jeff got in a pretty serious motorcycle accident. Like, really serious motorcycle accident. Um, And there is nothing good about the motorcycle accident in the moment. In the moment of impact, there is nothing good about it. However, moments later, it changed to cheerfulness when Pastor realized he was alive. It changed to cheerfulness when he realized there was just broken bones and surgeries ahead. It changed to cheerfulness when people of this church stepped up and did things when he wasn't able to do them. We can be cheerful no matter what. It's just where is our attitude. We can be reassured that we can be cheerful no matter what because of what it says in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. If you're here today, I'm assuming you love God or at least you want to know more about him. So if you believe one part of the Bible, you have to believe the other part of the Bible and believe that this is for you too. That no matter how bad it is, no matter how ugly it is, no matter how bad you want to get out of it, God's going to work it for good. It may not make sense to you, but it doesn't have to because it makes sense to God and we serve a good God no matter what. We cultivate an attitude of gratitude by being cheerful, no matter what, because God is working all things for good. The second part of 1 Thessalonians 16, 18 says, pray at all times. We have made it heard, may have heard it before say, pray without ceasing. How can a praying at all times or praying without ceasing give us an attitude of gratitude? Prayer gives us a constant connection with God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We pray, when we pray, we're drawn closer to God. It aligns us with his perfect will. Let's think about Jesus. Right before he was betrayed in the garden, Jesus had flesh and feelings and he knew the suffering was ahead of the cross. But let's look at Matthew 26, 29, 26, 39. Taking a good look at them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. That's not where I'm supposed to be, and that's my fault, but that's okay. Um, in Matthew 26, 39, it says, then he walked a short distance away and, overcame with, and he was overcame with grief. He threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, my father... If there is any way you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. Yet, what I want is not important, for what the only desire is to fulfill your plan for me. Jesus was prepared to face the future after he prayed in the garden for the removal of the cup and the suffering. But God didn't remove the cup of suffering. He still had to endure the physical and spiritual pain of the crucifixion. Jesus' prayer did not change his circumstances, but it did change his spirit. We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to let God change our hearts. Praying at all times gives us a closer connection to God and helps us to come in alignment with God's perfect will for us. Isn't that a desire that we all have and that we can all be gracious for? Now let's take a look at the third part of 1 Thessalonians 16 through 18, which says, Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants those who belong to Him to live. Hold on, who's got a problem with this? Thank God no matter what happens. I want you to just go back to the last bad thing that's happened to you. It could have been this morning, it could have been yesterday, you could have baked your cannoli pie, whatever it may be. <laughs> What's that last bad thing that happened to you? And did you thank God for it? No. Chances are you didn't, and neither did I. But when we do, things change. It's a struggle. But why is it a struggle? I know we serve a God who loves us, but why be thankful in the crappy things that happen? Because only thing the only reason that we can be thankful no matter what is when we realize what we really deserve. The only thing we really deserve is death. Because I'm a sinner. I must always thank God even the worst of circumstances because he gave Jesus up for me. Why must I thank God no matter what? Because his grace and mercy he shows me each and every day. Why must I thank God no matter what? Because he has a perfect plan for my life. One that is bigger and greater and better than I could ever imagine. Why must I thank God no matter what? Because he already has the victory, and we are on his team, which means we win also. Thanking God, no matter what, helps me build an attitude of gratitude, which God wants me to have. Let's take a, a look at what Paul shared with the Philippians. Let's remember, Paul didn't have the easiest of roads. At three different times in his life, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And he was arrested. So for him to say live, the following, live following the words, means a lot and is a great example to us today with, by living in attitude of gratitude. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you could understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How similar is this to First Thessalonians? Paul totally understood the attitude of gratitude. In my eyes, praying all the time, praying about everything, are very similar when combined together, which makes it a very powerful prayer life. Thanking God no matter what and thanking God for all that he's done brings us to a place of being thankful for the things he has done for us. Seen, unseen, deserving, and undeserving. When we take a look at the first part of First Thessalonians, we can recall it says, be cheerful no matter what, which is similar to Philippians 4.6, which Paul says, do not worry about anything. Be cheerful no matter what, don't worry about anything. When combined, what a powerful statement do we have? So if we are cheerful no matter what, and we don't worry about anything, what do we receive? We will get what verse 7 says. We will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, which will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. With God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, there is no way we cannot display an attitude of gratitude. Now, I want to take a turn and show a story in the Bible where gratitude is on display. I always believe sharing Scripture is critical, but making Scripture come alive by making it relevant and applicable to today shows us how we can apply it to our lives. It is a story that some of us may be familiar with, but there are a lot, there's a lot going on inside of it. So let's take a look at the story of the 10 lepers. I will read it complete, then we'll take a deeper dive into it. It happened that as he made his way towards Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, 10 men, all lepers met him. They kept their distance, but raised their voices, calling, "'Jesus, Master, have mercy on us.'" Go on. "'Taking a good look at them, he said, "'Go show yourselves to the priests.' They went, and while they were on their way, they became clean. One of them, when he realized what he, he, that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet, so grateful.'" He couldn't thank him enough. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said, we're not ten healed, but where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? Then he said, get up on your way. Your faith has healed you and saved you. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely Amazing. When we look at this in a a different way, we're going to come all the way through each one of these. We're going to break it down. All right? It, It started off, it said it happened that as he made his way towards Jerusalem, and it's talking about Jesus here, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, ten men, all lepers, met him. Now think about this. This is the way my mind works which doesn't mean it works for everybody this way, but I've got to make it relevant and applicable to myself. And if I hopefully it helps you get a, a little deeper understanding. Like I said, this isn't going to be new, but it's just going to be a different perspective. All right? Now think about this. Jesus was walking in Jerusalem, a town at which in that time had approximately 25,000 people. Okay? Now, in comparison, in 2021, Rome had... 31,973 people. So Jerusalem is actually smaller than Rome, like our Rome here today, all right? I bring this up because, you know, Rome is a big place, but it's not as big as Philadelphia or Los Angeles, right? But I don't know every person who comes into Rome and every person who leaves Rome, I've lived in Rome for a long time, and there's people that I haven't seen for years. These ten lepers saw Jesus walking into the village. Were there not other people walking into the village at the time? Was there only one road into the village? Right? They were looking for something. They were looking for something that only one person had. And that's what we need to remember. These 10 men were looking for something. Let's take a sidebar for a minute and talk about what a leper is and the rules that they had to adhere to. Physical leprosy was a skin and flesh disorder that brought on literal decay of a person's body while it still lived. The first signs of leprosy were white spots on the skin. Now, not too often do we sing about lepers in church, but we sung about lepers today, if you recall. All right, God set us up perfectly, all right? Lepers often did not even know they had leprosy until they accidentally cut themselves or injured themselves because there was no pain associated with the feeling. This is because leprosy deadened the nerve endings and did not send the proper signals to the brain. Eventually, grotesque sores emerged across their bodies and their flesh began to rot. As leprosy progressed, the leper's skin dried and their flesh de- de- degenerated. After a time, fingers and toes and ears and parts of their nose would break off. At the time of Jesus, there was no known cure which left these, those with leprosy with, with hope. Socially, lepers were also suffered anguish. Leper, leprosy was highly contagious, and there was no cure. According, accordingly, lepers were ostracized. They were forbidding from having personal contact with anyone, including their family and friends. Jewish law required that those who had leprosy to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people would stay away from them when people approached, to avoid contaminating others. They were cut off from all society. Now that we have a little background about lepers, let's jump back into the story. These lepers had no easy life. Living a life of isolation while suffering from infection and discomfort was not an easy life. The only thing we could possibly relate this to is a severe sunburn while being in quarantine from COVID. Right? That's the only thing that we could possibly, for most of us, relate it to, All right? Most of us have suffered some sort of isolation through COVID, and most of us have suffered some sort of severe sunburn before. But this is multiplied time, times who knows what. I don't think anybody here ever had fingers falling off because of sunburn or anything like that, All right? But I'm just trying to make it a touch relatable. But let's remember that we only had to isolate for 10 days, These men, we have no idea how long they suffered from these symptoms and no idea how long they lived in isolation. But we do know when they saw Jesus, they approached him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. For me, this part of the scripture, there are a few takeaways. First, they showed honor to Jesus by keeping their distance. We don't know how far they were from Jesus, but we know that they were far enough that they had to raise their voices. Secondly, they used the word master, which is transla- translated in this passage as chief commander. In our society today, we can't even use the word master anymore. Realtors are not even a permitted to use the term master bedroom anymore because of its negative associations. Now we have primary bedroom or owner suites. Master to these men in desperate need show they believed in who Jesus was and that he had control over everything, even disease and death. In our lives today is Jesus master. Someone who controls us, Or someone who has everything under control and has our best interests for us. These men somehow knew what Jesus was capable of and they wanted it. They put their faith and trust in the master. Thirdly, they said, master. They said, have mercy on us. They didn't limit Jesus. If they would have asked for healing from leprosy, they surely would have gotten it, but they would have limited Jesus. How much different is their request when they say, have mercy on us? They are asking for Jesus to give them what they don't deserve. Not just healing, but freedom from bondage of disease and from all other sin. What I find to be awesome is in their general faith-based request. Jesus knew exactly what they desired and gave them exactly what they needed. How much does this reflect the faithfulness to the lepers of the of the day and to us today? Jesus knows exactly what we need even before we we need it. Looking back into the scripture in Luke 17 14 through 16, it says, taking a good look at them. So now we're talking about Jesus. He says, taking a good look at them. So now we have some more information about Jesus. He was close enough that he could see what was going on. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. This is a very, very important part of this story for many of us may not know about it. These words brought faith to these 10 diseased men. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, it says that the priest must examine the diseased person to deem them clean or unclean. So when he said, go show yourself to the priest, this brought faith and hope to these men. They knew that if they were going to the priest, they were up for examination, an opportunity to live a normal life once again. These next two words blow my mind. They went. Something so simple. They went. They didn't see the healing at the time, they didn't ask why. They went. Let me say that again. They didn't see a change. They didn't ask why they were going. They went. How much different is that from us today? We want to know the ifs, ands, whys, buts, who's, theirs, why, now. For real. They went. And there's only one reason they went. Because they believed. What do you believe Jesus can do for you? And are you willing to go when he tells you to go? They went displaying their faith that Jesus is going to change their circumstances. They didn't know when, they didn't know why, and they didn't know how. They just trusted. I saw a quote this week that I found very, very convicting and I'm going to say it twice because it's just, it's that powerful. Many trust God with their internal salvation, but not with their temporary situation. Let me say it again. Many trust God with their internal salvation, but not with their temporary situation. We all put our trust in God and said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior and allow me to spend eternal life with you. But how often do we find ourselves in a pickle and we don't trust that God can get us out of it? We go look for every other thing and then when everything else fails us, then we come back to God. How true is this in our everyday lives? God is faithful. He works all things for good. There is no other place we should place our trust than other than where the lepers did and that's in Jesus they went, and while they were still on their way, they became clean. Can you imagine? While they were walking, their bodies became restored. Sores started to heal. Feelings and life were brought back to their bodies. I bet they even got a little bit of pep in their step. Think about if they were, there were people around. The men who had always been known as the outcast were now strolling down the city streets, restored. But the scripture goes on to say, one of them, when he realized he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. Ten received healing, but only one recognized where the healing had come from and came back to show his gratitude. I don't know how your creative minds run with this, But I picture a child at Christmas getting that one gift that he or she wanted and screaming at the top of their lungs with amazement and awe that they received it. That's how I picture the man who returned to Jesus when he was showing his gratitude and glorifying God. The scripture goes on to say he kneeled at Jesus' feet so grateful he couldn't thank him enough. Now, if we take a second and we think about all the things that Christ has given us, we can't thank him enough. But how much do we find ourselves not thanking him? I can only think that as these shouts of gratitude faded away and they turned into tears of joy at the realization of Jesus' faithfulness, and love he showed this man as he, humbled, as he was humbled by the gift of healing. And this is the best part. And he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't deserve anything. But this just shows us how good God's faithfulness is. His love is for everybody. And this is a perfect display of it. He didn't say, oh, you're not a Jew, I'm not going to heal you. He said, you're one of mine, I created you, I've got a plan for you, and I'm going to heal you too. And this is the man who came back and thanked him. We can learn a lot from the Samaritans, because when we go back to the, the story of the good Samaritan, right? We've got the people who passed the man in the ditch, who are all people who should have done it, and it was the Samaritan who's the one who picked them up and pulled them out. All right, let's not discount people because God doesn't discount anybody. Amen. This man was a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews. Why would Jesus heal him? Because just as all of us are, this Samaritan was created in the image of God. And God has a love for all who love him. God is good. Jesus said, we're not 10 healed. Where are the Nine. Can none, of, none of them can be found. Come back and give, to give glory to God except the outsider? I don't believe Jesus has been or could ever have been confused. But I find there is a moment, in, if there was any moment in the Bible where this may have been possible, this may have been it. Jesus can do math. He knows there's only one man here pouring out his thanks. But where are the others? Well, the Bible never tells us where they are. But how much is this similar to our lives today? Think about it. How many thank yous do we hear? This man came back and gave thanks. Where are the other nine? Probably at the priest's. But after they went to priest's, where'd they go? Probably to see their families or friends, right? But never coming back to give thanks. The good thing is, is we don't have to go to Anywhere. We don't have to go to a place to give thanks. We can give thanks right where we're at. Too often, we are content by enjoying the gift, but forgetting the giver. We are quick to pray, but slow to praise God for what he has accomplished. The scripture closes with Jesus saying, Get up on your way. Your faith has healed and saved you. What type of faith are we displaying? Are we walking through our lives with the same attitude of gratitude the Samaritan man has? Being cheerful and hopeful no matter what? Praying for God to work and giving thanks whether we see the work or if we're waiting faithfully for his plan to take place? We have the ability to go through each day with an attitude of gratitude. Each day, but it's our choice whether we do or not. The choice should not be based on our circumstances of the news we receive. This attitude should be because we know God is faithful, and if He is willing to perform the miracle for the Samaritan person, He's willing to perform one for us. I can tell you that this very week, while I was prepping for this message, the enemy tried to come in several times and steal my attitude of gratitude. If it be, I, re- I received a shipment of merchandise for one of my lacrosse teams. $3,000 worth of merchandise came in. It was the wrong color. We're royal blue and all the shirts were purple. These are supposed to be Christmas presents for lacrosse players. Don't tell me that the enemy didn't try to come in and steal joy for me this week, all right? My car is supposed to go in the shop tomorrow to get replaced. Some, some damage that was to it. I've got a, a rental car all set up. Everything's set up. The door to my car hasn't showed up yet. My car's not going to get fixed tomorrow. It's going to be okay. But the enemy will do anything to come in and try to steal your joy and, 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 and take things from you. The enemy has tried to jump in and distract me and keep me from having the same attitude that I was planning to preach about today. And it's not funny at all. For me, having an attitude of gratitude is something I try to live out daily. That may, What makes it possible is knowing where I was before the age of 25, when I didn't have Jesus in my life, and knowing where I am 22 la- years later, when He's a major part of my life. It's God's faithfulness through the tests and the trials that leads me to believe he hasn't failed me yet. He hasn't failed me yet, so why would he fail me now? I know it can be easy to lose sight of our attitude of gratitude, especially when the world comes crashing down on us. I caution you that the same God who was in control when everything was great is the same God who's still in control when things don't look so good. We should be reminded that our attitudes of gratitude should not be built on feelings because feelings are not facts. Our emotions can lie to us. Our ability to keep an attitude of gratitude should be grounded on God's faithfulness. How can we be reminded of his faithfulness? We can get into his word and see the great things he has done, and we can do a simple exercise. We can count our blessings, not our problems. Our problems do have the ability to overwhelm us. But when we focus on our blessings, we can start to be grateful for all the blessings God has given us to build us an attitude of gratitude and puts the focus on what God has done for us rather than the issue at hand. Similar to what I taught last time, worshiping through the worry, we must keep our eyes on God's faithfulness in the past, today, and believing that he will re- remain faithful in the future. So as you walked in today, you should have received a card. It's a grateful, it says grateful, or gratitude card on it, all right? And in church, you know, we don't ask you to do a whole lot. You sit there, and you consume, and it's good, and, you know, like I said, I hope that there's something here for everybody. But as I share this testimony with you that I'm going to share— on God's faithfulness, I want you to think about something that God has done for you. This isn't like Thanksgiving where we all sit around the table and say, I'm thankful for Susie because she's, no, what has God done for you? What is your pillar that you can stand on when the world comes crashing down? All right, so I'm gonna share a story with you, then I'm gonna ask you to do something with that card. All right, so some of you know, some of you don't know. A couple weeks ago, my stepdad, Bob, got pretty sick. And I got to call to the house at about midnight. And when I got to the house, he was in the back of the ambulance. And driving there, I knew that it wasn't a good thing. And um, I was just praying, God, you're a good God. You've always been a good God. You've helped him through heart attacks and bypass surgery and strokes and everything else. Why would you fail me now? You're not going to. So I got there and he was in the back of the ambulance and I opened up the door and I walked right in the back of the ambulance and I put my hand right on his head and I said, in Jesus' name, you are healed. And he said, amen. But I can tell you that through the heart attacks and through the strokes and everything I've ever seen him go through, I've never seen him as grave as I saw him that night. Never. I had fear inside of me. That this may be it, and I've never had that before. But I said, In Jesus' name, you're healed. You're the God who got him through this, you're the God who got him through this, and I know you're gonna get him through this. And I left, and I went in the house, and I helped my mom clean up, and at 30 minutes later, I met him at the hospital. And he was a totally different man. There was no fear in his eyes. There was no fear in his eyes. There was no grave look on his face. He was breathing under control. There's only one person who did it. It was Jesus. It wasn't me. He used the doctors and he used the ambulance workers and stuff without a doubt. But God still got a plan for him. And if God's brought this guy through nine lives, I call him a cat, all right, because he's been through everything, all right? and he hasn't stopped using them, then he can use all of us. But that's my testimony, my latest to be grateful for, is God loves me enough and he loves him enough that he's kept him here to continue to do work for him. So what I'd like you to do is take two or three minutes right now, all right, and just think in your head, and if you don't have a pen, all right, Eric's got pens in the back, all right, this is not an exercise where, you know what, Jeremy's asking me, that this isn't like the trash. When I say, Reese, go take the trash out, and he's like, why? All right? This is a, a, no, why are we asking you to do this? Because when you put, when you think, and you put things down on paper, it sticks. All right? When you do this, the other thing is, all right, is you've got pastors in this church who get down. And sometimes they need to be built up. So when we can see what God's done in your lives, it can give them a little bit of refreshment. Right? So what I'm going to ask you to do is on your your gratitude card, take a minute and share a short, you don't need to give details, you don't even have to write your name on it. Right? It's totally anonymous. If you want us to know who it is, you can put your name on it. Right? Share what's the latest thing that God's done for you that you know specifically for you. It was for you, that you asked him for, it and it came. Bigger than, I need this or that. Think about it and write it down. And then as you leave today, I'm going to ask that you just deposit them in the, in the um, giving tubes back there. I can assure you, all right, the only people who are going to see them are the pastors, okay? Um, but it's always good to let God know, and this is a way to give thanksgiving, So, I'm going to give you a minute and then I'll continue here. Like I said, not a lot of detail or anything like that. You know. But give God credit for it. What has He done? What has He provided? What do you believe in Him for today? So as we go through our days, let's be reminded of what the scripture says. The life of an attitude of gratitude, we must be cheerful no matter what. No matter how good it is, no matter how bad it is, be cheerful and give honor and praise to the one who made it all happen. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Having that constant connection with God and trusting him in his faithfulness, and thanking God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. With all that's been said today, there's only one true way to have an attitude of gratitude, and that's to have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'd like to give everyone listening, or everyone who's here today, the opportunity to put their trust in the Lord and make him Lord of your life. Having this personal relationship with Christ and having the Holy Spirit within us as a guidance system will help us walk God's path. For those here today, let us say this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I recognize my need for forgiveness and surrender my life to you today. I accept Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. Please show me your path and help me to become the person you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. Now, I know most of you in here, and I know where you stand.